Hello and welcome to Tuesday at the Table. My name is Rhonda and I'm going to be sharing tonight. So first, before we get started, let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Papa, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. And I thank you for this story and how you've spoken to my life through it. And I just pray you'll then speak through me tonight and help each one of us hear specifically what you want to share with us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So a few weeks ago, I tried to share this story, but um, <laughs> the power went out, the tornado warning came, and we had to go hunker down in the hallway. So thankfully, there was not a whole lot of damage to our building, but um, and we're very thankful that nobody was injured. But we're going to try it again tonight, and the weather looks great. So let's go. Praise God, exactly. So I want to share with you some things that I've learned uh, from the story called The Healing at Bethesda. It comes out of John 5, and I've been teaching Bible studies for a while now, and I especially love to teach the three-question study method where you look at the facts, and then you look at the truths, and then you create some application questions to help apply those truths to your life. And so I've been teaching this story over the years. I've taught it probably about three different times. And each time, God has shown me something a little bit different. He does that. I mean, the Bible is alive and active. It's not like a history book where it's just solid and doesn't move, doesn't... It doesn't change, it's all based, it's God's word, and it's solid, but it's also alive and active in that it can speak to us where we're at at that particular point in time. So he's talked to me three different times, three different levels from this story. Every time he kind of stepped on my toes, sometimes a little bit harder, but, um, so I just want to share that tonight in case he needs to step on any of your toes through this story share the pain with you. All right, so I'm going to read the story first. Just read it through. Uh, it's John 5, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation because I just love the way it tells stories. Then Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called an Aramaic. I just love this. The House of Loving Kindness. In other versions, it's called Bethesda or other versions of that, but um, this is the House of Loving Kindness. And this pool is surrounded by five covered porches. Hundreds of sick people were lying there on the porches, the paralyzed, the blind, and the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters. And the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Now there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years, lying among the multitude of the sick. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be healed? Man, that's a pretty rough question there, Jesus. The sick man answered him, Sir, 
There's no way I can get healed, for I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately he stood up. He was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked again. Now this miracle took place on the Jewish Sabbath. When the Jewish leaders saw the man walking along carrying his sleeping mat, they objected and said, What are you doing carrying that? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? It's not lawful for you to carry things on the Sabbath. He answered them, The man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. What man, they asked him. Who was this man who ordered you to carry something on a Sabbath? Never mind, he just healed you. Who ordered you to carry that sleeping mat on the Sabbath? But the healed man couldn't give them an answer, for he didn't yet know who it was, since Jesus had already slipped away into the crowd. A short time later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, Look at you now, you're healed. Walk away from your sin so that nothing worse will happen to you. I wondered about that verse for decades. But I'll share something with you tonight that helped me understand it. Then the man went to the Jewish leaders to inform them, it was Jesus who healed me. So he finally figured out who it was. All right, so I'm just going to go back and look at you know a sentence or a paragraph or whatever and just talk about it a little bit, and then I'm going to get to the three different things God shared with me through this story. Uh, the first sentence is just talking about Jesus coming to Jerusalem for a Jewish holy day. I have a whole lesson I would love to share, but I'm not um, about God's calendar versus our calendar. And But just if you have a chance, do some research because it's very interesting. All right, and the next thing talks about inside the city near the sheep gate. Well, the sheep gate was where they actually brought in the sheep to the temple for sacrifice. They were about to be sacrificed. So you've got the blood sacrifice. Then you've got this pool called the House of Loving Kindness. And then it's surrounded by these five covered porches where all of these sick people are lying. Some scholars compare the five porches to like the five books of the Torah like the law, so they're like under the law, and then you've got the blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and then you've got this pool, just this mercy, you know, God's mercy coming down, but he's only healing like one at a time. To me, it just is a reminder of like the old, the old way of doing things, the old covenant, which required blood sacrifices by animals, and then these people had to actually work their way to the pool to get in, to get healed. But today, Jesus shows up on the scene. All right, let's see. Um, there was, we're going to skip on down to verse 5. Now there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years, lying among the multitude of the sick. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he'd been crippled for a long time. So he asked him this very rude question, or at least it appears to be rude says, do you truly long to be healed? I mean, the, the New International Version says, do you want to get well? I mean, that's, that's a pretty rude question to ask somebody who can't walk, you know, and who is there waiting 
for the angel to come down so that they can hopefully get in the pool so they can get healed. And it's like, do you really want to get healed? But Jesus always has good questions, and um, we just have to figure out what he means by them. So this when the sick man answered, Sir, there's no way I can get healed, for I have no one to lower me into the water. So he doesn't, um, he doesn't have any hope. Like all these other people lying there, if they had any hope for any other way to be healed, I'm sure they would do it. I'm sure they had probably exhausted their money. They had gone to all the doctors, just like, remember the lady with the issue of blood? who had used all of her money to go to these doctors, and not only was she not healed, number one, she was broke, but she was also worse off physically. So I have a feeling these people were probably pretty hopeless because they're sitting there waiting for their lottery ticket to be called. I mean, essentially, it's like hundreds of people, and when the angel comes down, one person gets healed. So if you had any other hope, I think you would be there. So I just feel like this was a very hopeless situation. And when I, um, well, I'll get to that in just a minute. Okay. So he says, I can't get healed because somebody always jumps in there ahead of me. And Jesus said, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and walk. And the first time... The first level of teaching God gave me on this was that I was wondering, why did he have to pick up his sleeping mat and walk? Well, he could have just left it and said, stand up and walk and go on. And I feel like God said, because if he left his mat there, he might go back. And this disability that this man had had become his comfort zone. He was there with other people who had similar maladies. He was there with other people in about the same shape he was. They were all pretty hopeless. They just hung out all day waiting for the waters to stir, and then one of them might get healed. And it had become his comfort zone. And so it was like Jesus was saying, you can't just stay here. I'm going to heal you. I have healed you, but then you've got to leave. You can't stay around these people. You can't stay on these, in this environment. You can't stay because you don't need this anymore. I've healed you. So his disability or his weakness had become his comfort zone. And God was talking to me about what has become your comfort zone. What is it? What issue in your life do you, have you given up hope on? So you're just kind of hanging out there hopeless in that area. You're not, you don't even have any hope that it's going to get better. So it's, you've just accepted it. Okay, well, this is my lot in life. So let me just hang out with other people who have this same lot in life. This could be a health issue like it was for him. It could be a job issue, finances, relationships, even our spiritual life. Where have we gotten so comfortable that we've quit growing and learning 
and hoping for anything better. What area in our life have we gotten too comfortable with? And what mat do we need to pick up? And where do we need to leave? Because God's willing to heal us. But if we just keep going back there and just keep going back there and keep hanging out with the same crowd and keep getting more and more hopeless, it's not going to stick. We have to leave. So what lifestyle changes do we need to make so that we can live out our healing and we can live the life we're destined to live? So that's what he taught me the first time he really started stepping on my toes with the story. And the next thing he taught me is when I was studying it out of the Amplified Version. And here's what it says in verse 5, talking about the man in the Amplified Version. It says, there was a certain man there who had suffered with a deep-seated and lingering disorder for 38 years. And I thought, deep-seated? I mean, you're either hurt or you're not. And God said, no, this had become deep-seated. Something maybe had happened to him or he had done something, and it just stayed. And the next year it was still there, and the next year it was still there, and it just kept going until it became a part of who he was. It was his identity. His disability had become his identity, and that's how he saw himself. That's how he thought other people saw him. He had no hope that it would change because that's who he was. And it was his excuse for not living the life that he knew he was created to live. Because remember when Jesus said, do you really want to get well? Well, and he started listing the excuses. I don't have anybody to put me in the water. I can't get there myself. I don't have anybody that's going to hang out with me all day, every day, until the water stirs and I see if we can get me in there. It was just an excuse for why he could not live the life that he felt like he was supposed to live. So God was saying, okay, what has happened to you that you've now just accepted as a part of who you are? Maybe one day you were praying for God to heal you, but even if you are still praying it, are you even believing that it can happen? Can you even see yourself that way? Which is why Jesus asked the question he asked, do you really want to get well? It wasn't, I know you're asking for healing, but can you see yourself healed? Can you see yourself living that kind of life if you are healed? Because his life would have changed. It did change. He wouldn't be lying around all day. He'd be working. He'd be going back with his family. He went back to the temple immediately. He would be out in the marketplace. He'd be out in the community. It was going to change radically. So Jesus was saying, can you see yourself like that? Are you ready to see yourself living that kind of life again? So sometimes it may be a physical problem we've had and we've just said, okay, this is who I am. Sometimes it can be job, career, a relationship, finances, but we've just 
accepted that that's who we are and that's how it's going to be. So the question here is what excuses are we using for not living the life we know we were created to live? It's possibly how, because of our identity, how we see ourselves now. So then the third way, this happened this semester when I was teaching my small group and we did this story again. It had been a few years since I'd shared this story. And this revelation kind of caught me off guard because I had never, I'd never heard this before. And he used the same verse and he used the amplified version again. There was a certain man there who had suffered with a deep-seated and lingering disorder for 38 years. And God said, where have you heard that phrase before, deep-seated? And I went, I know where I've heard it. <laughs> heard it in the prodigal son story. And it's after younger son has come back, father has run out to meet him and hugged him and kissed him and restored everything that he had lost. And he says, let's throw a party. So they have a huge celebration. And then older son comes in from the fields, slaving away. And here's the music and the dancing and smells the barbecue. And he goes up to, doesn't even go to the house. I mean, it's his dad's house. He doesn't even go in the house to find out what's happening. He asks a servant that walks by and says, what's going on here? And the servant said, this is out of Luke 15, your brother has come and your father has killed that wheat fattened calf because he has received him back safe and well. But the elder brother was angry with deep seated wrath and he refused to go in. I thought, hmm, I know how that wrath got deep seated. I'm sure he was angry from the beginning when his younger brother asked the father for their inheritance. And then the younger brother leaves. So I'm sure the older brother had to take over some of the responsibilities that the younger brother had been doing. And I'm sure every time he, that that alarm clock went off earlier than it used to have to, he got angry. When he passed by his brother's house on the way to work, I'm sure he got angry when he got to work and saw all the extra work he had to do. I'm sure he got more angry. When his friends who went on vacation and saw what younger brother was doing with the, all that, their father's money, I'm sure he got angry. And when he went by Papa's house on the way home and po possibly saw Papa on the porch looking for a younger brother every day. I'm sure that made him, angry, made him angry too. And it just got deeper and deeper and deeper because he didn't handle it. He didn't process it. He didn't deal with it. He didn't forgive his brother. He didn't forgive his father. He just got more and more angry. And I went, okay, God, I see that. But here we're talking about a man who can't walk. And he said, what if it's both? And I went, oh. And I got to thinking, I've had a stress headache before, haven't you? N no, lucky you. <laughs> I mean, I know people who have worried themselves to where they have ulcers. 
I mean, and we've heard of like animals and people like dying of a broken heart. Our emotions affect us physically. It's um, a very well-known fact. In fact, I'm going to read you a quote out of a book. This comes from a book, um, Emotions Buried Alive Never Die. In other words, we have to deal with our emotions. We can't just stuff them. We can't just ignore them. They're like warning lights. That's what I've always heard. They're like warning lights on the dash of your car. You can't just cover them up and pretend they're not there because something's going to happen to the engine. So emotions for us are the same way. It's just a warning that, hey, something's off. You need to check this out, see what's going on. So that was the book, and this is actually a quote in the book from an article by some editors of Prevention Magazine. I used to read that a lot. It has some really good ideas. You have to be discerning of what you do, but they have some really good health uh, ideas in there. But this is the quote. It is estimated that 90% of all physical problems have psychological roots. That may sound like a gross exaggeration. In fact, it's probably a conservative estimate. A growing body of evidence indicates that virtually every ill that can befall the body, from acne to arthritis, headaches to heart disease, cold sores to cancer, is influenced, for better or worse, by our emotions. And I went, oh. I guess maybe this could have been part emotional, not just all physical. So I got to thinking about it. I thought, well, maybe something happened to him, and he could have gotten very angry. Maybe somebody did something to him. And that anger could have gotten deep-seated, and that anger is going to manifest somewhere, so it may have manifested in even more physical problems. It could have even started from emotional problems, and they just manifested physically. But then I thought, but also it could have been he had physical issues, and he started depending on people, and that it's kind of nice. <laughs> you know, if you don't use your muscles, they atrophy. So maybe he had an issue, and temporarily he needed help from other people to carry him places. He probably needed help financially, emotionally, somebody to talk to, and it just started feeling kind of good. And I thought, okay, that sounds right. And so I started, I started looking up some things. Number one, you know the verses about our... Let me find them right here. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. We're taught all through the scriptures that we need to process our emotions. We need to make sure our thought patterns are correct. Our belief system needs to be based on truth. And um, our mindset needs to be right. And then in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your, heart, guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then in Philippians 8, it goes on and says, And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. 
fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about the things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. And then one more, Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So I thought, okay, so this man potentially had physical ailments, and some of those, if not all of them, were caused by emotions or a false belief system or a poor mindset. And I thought, okay, so what have I believed that has caused, issue, has caused issues in my life? What have I believed wrongly? You know, sometimes when things happen to us in experience, we base a belief system around that. I mean, we start thinking, well, that's what happens then. When this happens, this must be true, this must be true. And it's not always right. Sometimes we let our emotions, our um, mindset, our wrong beliefs, and our thought patterns cause us problems in life, cause us issues. And I think God was saying this man at least had that was partly to blame, not just a physical injury or something. So I thought, okay, that kind of makes sense now when we go to the end of the story where Jesus said to him in the temple, remember when he saw him there, and he said, look at you now, you're healed. Walk away from your sin so that nothing worse happens to you. That just sounded so horrible to me for years. I'm thinking, it's like God is threatening you. If you, if you do that sin one more time, I'm going to give you some horrible disease. It's going to be even worse than it was before. And that is not who God is at all. But what I see now is apparently this man had brought some of this on himself by his own actions. And Jesus is saying, I've given you a clean slate. You are totally healed. But if you don't leave... That, whatever that is, emotions, mindset, um, if you don't leave that behind and deal with all of that and change that mindset, change those thought patterns, you're going to wind up right back where you were, possibly even worse. And I went, oh, now it makes sense. Now that makes sense. All right. So Jesus wasn't being rude when he asked, do you want to get well? He was saying, can you see yourself? Are you ready for that lifestyle change that it's going to be? You're asking me for something huge, but it's going to change the whole way you do life. Are you ready for it? And then he wasn't threatening him with the worst disease if he did that sin anymore. He was saying, if you don't change, if you don't manage your emotions process them, change your mindset, change your thought patterns, your wrong beliefs, you're just going to wind up in the same place. So one more word. This time when I was studying, I feel like God had said, because I'd looked up some stuff in Strong's to be sure I was right, and God had said, I want you to look up one more word. <laughs> and it was the word where Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. And he said, look up walk. And I thought, really? I 
actually think I know what that word means. <laughs> but he always, he never asked a bad question. And I thought, okay, we'll look it up. So Daniel, if you're listening, hopefully I'll pronounce this correctly. But this is Strong's number 4043, Peripatea. And the definition means to walk. But then the sub-definition says this, to make one's way, to progress. In other words, to make progress. And then this is what I loved, to make due use of opportunities. So it's like, are you just going to take the healing and go back to the life that you had? Or are you going to use this opportunity to walk out of this comfort zone to change the way you see yourself and to change your whole mindset so that you don't wind up back there. He's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity and I would like for you to take it. So that is all I have for tonight. Thank you for joining me. I hope, I hope he didn't step on your toes too hard, but he did mine when I was preparing, so. So let's pray, and um, then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you so much for this word, for this story, and Father, for how you have used it in my life. And Father, we just declare that we don't want to hang out in our comfort zones anymore. And we don't want our issues to be our identity. And Father, we don't want to play any part in making our issues worse. Thank you for healing us and for giving us opportunities to go forward, and we just choose to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.